Hello from the past, present, and future. My name's Scott Hamza, and thank you so much for listening to the fourth episode of the Time Travel Film Club, a weird, wild, and usually dairy-free journey across some of the best and some of the worst time travel films throughout our timeline. Joining me in the TTFC, to my right, our resident science guy and observatory dweller, James Donnelly. Hello, James. Hi, Scott. Thankfully, I'm not lactose intolerant, and I was able to ingest this film quite happily. But you are an observatory dweller, definitely. And you can hear his voice to my left, film fact finder extraordinaire, and a man you can frequently find nude in the woods, Adam Hedges. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds slander. I will not have that said against me. (laughs) It's not even a lie. (laughs) It is wonderful once again guys to be here with you kicking off another episode of time travel film club our collection of 12 time travel movies spread across three decades and five countries in which each episode our listeners join our past selves to break down analyze and compare a time travel movie they might not have heard of which brings me to today's film gentlemen we watched los cronocrimenes a film we never would have found were it not for the joys of vpns Oh my god, don't get me started on how hard it was to try and get hold of this film. I I commiserate with our listeners a lot, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't worth the hassle of having to get the VPN and get the Spanish Netflix. It's it's absolutely worth the hassle. Absolutely. Just before we send our dear listeners off to meet our past selves for the chat, if those listeners want to get in touch with us at all, guys, how was the best way for them to do it? They can like us on Facebook at Time Travel Film Club. They can follow us on Twitter at Time Travel Club. And if you want to admit to a time crime, you can do so on our subreddit, r slash time travel film club, or send an email to time travel film club at gmail.com. And we, of course, cannot wait to hear the confessions now. Oh, sorry, guys. Time to wrap it up here. Our husband's just arrived back with the shopping, and I don't think anything bad could happen with this lovely sunny afternoon. So let's get to it. It's Los Corona Crimenes time. Is this the second episode in a row that we filmed where it is gloriously sunny outside? Yep. It's going gonna, it's gonna to become a thing. This is... Uh, yeah. Winter is for editing. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. Beautiful weather, much like uh, the gorgeous weather in Cantabria, Spain, uh, which is where Los Cronocrimenes is set. We begin our movie uh, uh, wonderfully with... Hector and Clara, they are moving into their new house in the luxurious Spanish countryside. Um, he still has, at first, I thought, oh, they must be quite well off because it's a large house. It's a lovely sort of like James Bond opening sequence-esque kind of shot of this beautiful forest and all that kind of stuff. So I thought maybe they're really well off. But his car is, uh, his car, him, him being Hector, is fairly modest and, and that kind of stuff. Straight from the off, I was like, oh, chaos straight away. It's like he pulls up in the driveway and all all of the shopping that he's been collecting, all the stuff he's been moving, maybe. I felt like he was probably on his way back from buying supplies, just all over the driveway. And you know straight away, this is somebody who looks like they've got their life on track, but he's either forgotten to close that boot or that the car boot is broken. Um, And just that jumped out at me straight away as, as like, this is a chaotic movie. Two things jumped out at me. The first being, A, he went to buy all that shopping and didn't get them any dinner for the night. (laughs) <laughs> so that was a bit annoying chaotic i told you and b i think the only shot that doesn't take place 
on the location that they film in, which is, I mean, it's all filmed around one lab and house, is right at the start, you see where he's been shopping. Mm. And that's it. That's like, that's the cold open of, he's gone shopping, it's all mm-hmm. falling out the boot. You think it's a disaster? No, he's just got a crap latch. It's like the nice sort of simple beginnings of a, of an indie flick kind of thing. Oh, yeah. he's shopping. Oh, he's coming to the house. Oh, he didn't close the boot. Oh, chaos. Oh, you know, oh, funny. You know, he he's, he begins Hector for us as this kind of like just an everyman almost like a like a Spanish Homer Simpson. You know, he's balding as well in the right ways. <laughs> I, yeah. I wrote down, it's nice to have a slightly overweight protagonist. Oh, yeah. He looks like a real man, doesn't he? Yeah. Thank you very much. It's nice to have someone who's not ridiculously handsome for a change and just to watch <laughs> yeah. a movie with a real person yeah, in it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think now's a good time to kind of talk about Hector. We are obviously with Hector for the majority of the movie. And, you know, spoilers for no one because all of our listeners will have watched this wonderful movie in advance. Um, Hector, we are with three times over. We have Hector, we have Hector 2, Hector 3. We get to know Hector quite well. He leads us through this film. And, and as I said, the, the Spanish. Uh, Homer Simpson, that's not a joke uh, as much as, as I genuinely mean it. He's, I think he's presented to us, especially early in the movie, as an everyman. He, you know, jokes around with his wife. They have the chit chat about will the table fit in, the little bet with themselves. But it seems like a very wholesome, nice setting. I'm glad you mentioned wholesome and nice, because I wrote down, it's really nice to see a couple that like each other. Yeah. No strife between them. No, they're not overly smoochy. They're not, you know, at each other's throats. They just get on. They're just a a, a normal couple. I always, I always think that when when they set that sort of a relationship up, there's there's bigger stakes because you know you're about to watch potentially a time travel movie. And you know things are going to go wrong, and it felt almost like it was sad to see that relationship at the beginning almost for me because I knew kind of it was going to turn out kind of sad in a, in a way. And Clara is ostensibly throughout the course of this movie she is as much a plot device as she is a character you oh, know yeah. she is she's a hook for Hector and she's a she's a baiting for Hector Hector being the guy we spend the majority of this movie and as I as I said uh, an everymanish kind of character we see over the course of the beginning of this movie just him him doing his everymanish stuff as we said he goes shopping he uh, uh, moves into his house with his wife he they joke about dinner and then he does it goes through the the rhythms he goes for a nice afternoon nap i will say at this point james in in the last episode and maybe in the episode before mentioned a very valuable trope about uh, the fact that sleep is always present in time travel movies and i was a little bit skeptical in the sense of like yeah well sleep happens in a lot of movies loads of sleep but i am i'm a full convincee now james i'm happy to say i'm with you on this one because there was no need for this nap apart from for the purposes of time travel. Oh, yeah. I think she says the line, time flies here. Oh, yeah. Which is I like... I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the f- I yeah, didn't yeah. catch that. Yeah, yeah. There's the f- there's a few, actually. She says a couple of things, but yeah, that is a big one. It's the first kind of meta reference. And then three minutes into the film, we have the second one, which is, here's a time travel film. He's going to sleep so that things can happen in the background while he's asleep that he doesn't have to witness. Yeah. And straight after he finishes sleeping, one of the first things we see, he wakes up to a phone call mysterious phone call mm. again something that you will see in pretty much every time travel film right i mean primer the very first one we looked at the best example of a phone call in a film whereby the phone call happens twice and has two different outcomes as a result 
I want to call it like the loaded phone call. It's not just a phone call. It must mean something. And to, to not, you know, it's in no way a negative for Los Corona Crimenes, but because we are coming off the back of having now watched ARQ, where there's it's a video call, but it's the same kind of uh, thing applies. There's a video call in ARQ and there's the phone call in uh, Primer. And both are not just calls. They are loaded with information or loaded with danger or loaded with just, oh, no, can you do that? Should you do that? Etc. And so this phone call straight away, you at least know like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. They're a true Chekhov's gun device. Like, they only get mentioned because this is important to the plot. I mean, this whole opening sequence is riddled with, I mean, the, the time flies here is one thing, but Hector several times doesn't know what time it is. Or what or, day. Or what day it is. Kind of wakes up in a daze and he's like, oh, what's going on? And yeah, every single time. It's just, you're just peppered with time references right at the beginning, dead early on. I checked and officially that date, 16th of September, I think it was, in 2006, was a Saturday. She's correct. Oh really? Oh Excellent. my goodness! Good for them. Thank you very yeah. much, uh, Clara and Hector. I will. I will say again that it's a nice you mentioned, Adam. Uh, that that peppering of not just of time mentions, but specifically of Hector and his inadequacy to deal with time, his lack of understanding about how time works. Uh, you know, in as simple as what day is it? What month is it? Oh, how long have I been asleep? Twenty-seven years. I'm I'm silly and I don't care. That is a character trait that rings very true for Hector over the course of this movie and his 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 understanding and his decision his decision-making process. And so after, as you mentioned, James, the the nap and then the telephone call, we move forward to uh, a little bit of uh, lovely sex. Again, to... I say lovely sex. I mean... <laughs> we hope they enjoyed it. They look like they enjoyed it. <laughs> I, what I mean is... The as you said, it's lovely to see a couple who are happy with one another, and there's not marital or relationship strife. Oh, yeah. and it's not weird like up against the wall, sweaty sex. It's just should we have a quick fondle on the couch? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it's Leave just it's nice, no, nice. And good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lovely sex. We then, uh, they, they move outside, and, and it's all kind of uh, moving forward at a nice steady pace here. We're all sort of enjoying the, the Spanishness of it and the, the, the vibe of it, and it's very low-key. And then they sit on their deck chairs in the garden, uh, luxuriating in, in the size of the premises they now own. And uh, Hector, our boy Hecky, he sees uh, in the woods, they pick up some binoculars. Why would you not own binoculars if you lived in such a, a wonderful place? You come to visit me in the countryside, I have binoculars in every room. I live in a flat block in central London. If I have binoculars, it's a crime. Um, he, they, he picks up his binoculars and he sees in the woods a topless woman. There's no way. I'm not going to trim it up. I'm not going to dress it up. He sees a luxurious, uh, uh, you know, lovely a woman in a state of undress, <laughs> mystically dancing. No, it's a it's a topless woman. Now, this is a, a bigger moment than you would believe. You get to uh, when you're in this moment uh, as a first watcher, as I was, you're in this moment. You think, oh, bare chested woman in the woods. And Hector, you know, is curious. And why would he not be curious? What's going going on and so his curious leads him to investigate more and more and yet you get to the end of this movie as we all know and seeing what happens to Hector seeing the path that he goes down seeing let alone uh what happens to uh, as she is known the girl in the forest um I might slip and call her the woman in the woods because I like alliteration but the girl in the forest what ends up happening to her and Hector now having known that coming from having watched the whole movie you know that I at least think this scene and this moment this choice this uh curiosity I guess is the the way I want to phrase it, this curiosity is in many ways a bit of damnation, I guess, for Hector. This is the, his, his what's the moment called? His uh, sliding doors moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, does he go after Gwyneth Paltrow or not? You're right. I wrote down that the, initially it's a bit pervy what he's up to. He sees her. He's going after the, uh, the cutie in the coppice. And it turns to a kind of more concerned citizen aspect as opposed to 
he first sees her and is like, oh, yeah, we'll go and see more of that. And then it's, oh, no, is she okay? Mm. I think it can be read like so many different ways. It's almost in the moment I, I'm i going to give some, I, some, I frequently say on this podcast not to give credit to the movie for something it may not be doing, but I think the movie is doing this. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to ally myself with, with Nacho Vigalondo. Um, I think it's intentionally quite vague in his performance, in uh, uh, in Hector's performance and in what you're given, what you're given to work with. Exactly what his intentions are. Yes, there's the very obvious curiosity. Oh, uh, a, a naked lady. There's the very obvious curiosity, vanilla, no intentions other than what's going on there. Then there's the added perviness, as you said, James, of, oh, uh, a naked lady, maybe I'll go and inspect that. There's the citizen in need, and it develops in ways, as we know, he, as he investigates into the woods, he ends up seeing her sprawled out, now fully nude, lying unconscious against a rock, or, or unconscious dead, we don't know. I would like to point out at this point, how does Hector think it's uh, appropriate to check if someone is unconscious or dead? He throws a stick at them from <laughs> about four metres away. But, but the film does things like the stick throwing. It's it's one of the, again, we've talked about films like this before, every action is deliberate. We see there's a bin knocked over, we're going to learn about that. Yeah. We see there's a bike discarded at the side, we're going to learn about that. Every little piece, the sticks he's throwing, we use those as plot devices later mm. in the film so that we know exactly what stage we're at. And one thing that I, I kind of grabbed on fairly early was, I I felt like this is a really honest portrayal of somebody like a, a genuine human being so maybe you wouldn't approach a naked woman in the woods maybe you would try and get her attention first with a stick and it it comes through later on and i'll come back to it when we get to a certain stage when we're talking about it later but hector feels like an honest person and it's portrayed really well i think like straight from the off I think it's really honest, uh, really honest. I think it's really interesting that you highlight the honesty of his actions in this moment because of how we know he yeah. behaves towards the end, which is mm -hmm. whether you would call it dishonesty is something we can get to uh, uh, in our chat about sort of Hector's criminality, but uh, uh, he is at the least uh, misdirecting and manipulating events. And so, uh, but I would agree with you definitely upon first reading and when you're, when you're entering this movie from the, from the beginning without knowing the end. Hector is a very harmlessly active person for at least the first while. And then he becomes sympathetically active because we see him get, as he's approaching the uh, the nude girl in the forest, um, he is stabbed by the bandaged man. At this point, this is how we refer to him. He is the bandaged man and he gets stabbed by a pair of scissors in the in the arm. Looks very painful. Uh, I would not want to be stabbed by a pair of scissors. I would not be, want to be stabbed by much, but the scissors look particularly painful, quite thick, quite wedged, not happy about a it. A little blunt as well. Like, yeah. yeah. I was surprised when he took the bandage off later on. I was like, have you healed this much? You know, spoilers, Hector 3 removes bandages and, and one of them is the scissor bandage arm. And mm -hmm. I was like, no, that should, <laughs> you still need the hospital friend. But he gets stabbed by the bandage man and then makes his way via sort of a chase sequence to the laboratory our next trope of course chased by yourself something in time travel films they're always getting chased almost always by yourself mm. which again we don't know it's him at this point no obviously it later turns out that he's the one 
who stabbed himself. He is the bandaged man. Hector is uh, Hector is both a stabber and stabby. I thought this chase sequence was one of the most elegant parts of the movie, to be honest. It's got my, I think, my favourite part of the movie, which is I like to refer to it. I say I like to. This is the first time I'm doing it, but I will from now on like to refer to it. Please, gentlemen, work with me here <laughs> as the binocular stare back. It's the, it's the quick oh, flip yeah. of the neck. Oh, yeah, okay. I think yeah, all yeah. of our favourite part of yeah, this entire hands film. Down. It's so nice because it is not just the comedic value of the of so and and to to provide a little bit of context when Hector is running fleeing from the bandaged man part of when he is fleeing he manages to get he, he has his binoculars on him he's kept them uh, like a good scout and as he's looking to see how closely the bandaged man is tailing him how badly he's being chased what's going on my arm aches I have a scissor does he have the scissor hanging out of him does he claim the scissor no the scissors stay in the pocket of the bandaged man very yes. nice lovely piece of info thank you as he is looking to see how closely he's being chased he uses the binoculars has a little stare around and the minute he grabs hold of the bandaged man through them the bandaged man turns around whips around makes binocular hands with his face it's very kind of you had to be there to see it kind of thing but it's a wonderful moment of understanding between both the uh, uh between both hector and then the bandaged man who as we know is hector of timing and of the the exactitude of having gone back in time and when to time moments i believe you loved this scene so much scott that you've drawn it i have drawn it it's yeah. the whatsapp uh, it's, uh, it's yeah, the group yeah. chat logo yeah, yeah i i think it's a really fine moment and we come back to this moment later on when eventually uh, as we said hector is revealed to be the bandage man that is in fact hector 2 we will as much as the film does much as the young man in the observatory does when he does his lovely timey uh, explanation we'll get to that very shortly he refers to them as hector 2 and hector 3 and onwards and so when we see events from Hector 2's perspective, we see how tricky it was for him to time that stare back and that he doesn't nail it on the first time. He has to get it a couple of times. It's a lovely wrinkle. It's a nice bit of just extra thought pumped into uh, what could have been quite a simple moment. Now, we all know this film is called Time Crimes, uh, Chrono Criminess. Mm -hmm. uh, just a side note. When I tried to translate that through Google Translate, it disagreed in all kinds of ways. <laughs> oh, really? We had it, It's either called The Chrono Crimes, or if it was supposed to be called Time Crimes, maybe it should have been called Crimenes de Tiempo. Anyway, who cares? The most important part is we have our first actual crime. He breaks and enters. He breaks through a fence, mm -hmm. and then he breaks through a window. The first time crime. Really nonchalantly breaks through that window as yeah. well. Just just dashes. <laughs> just uh, yeah. what a doesn't, log doesn't try another one of the doors or anything. Not just this door doesn't open. I'll smash it with a rock. Just really cash. Yeah. And then later on in the movie, goes up to see the healed. You know, not the healed window. It's the it's the window prior to him breaking it, and uh, just looks at it like, oh yeah, I break you. Mm. I break you well. Later on, I'm gonna break you. <laughs> yeah. If I went up to a building and I could hear the radio quite loudly playing indoors. I would assume there was an open door somewhere. Or that there is definitely somebody in, so make more of an effort to, to alert them. Yeah. Maybe try just wander around the property a little. He is being chased at this point as well, so he's kind of panicking, I guess. Yeah, and it's kind of you like a to, real... It's, it's another, I think, I think it's another, like, um, example of his the honesty of that character as well, because he, he is panicking, and what do you do in 
in situations where you're panicking, you you think irrationally, and so him smashing a window because he needs to get inside kind of makes sense, I guess, within Fair. the within the the role. But no, I'm I'm with you. It is very spur of the moment. I'm gonna smash this window. Nonchalantly or not, I guess it's just how I looked at his face at the time. He is panicking and he does he does break into this laboratory and he is just looking to escape the 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 weird bloodied bandaged man that is chasing him and has stabbed him in in you know it's all a lot for Hector. There's a lot going on for him right now. It's a stressful time. He's innocent. He's he, nothing's happened. He hasn't done anything yet. Come on. He just looked through the, uh, the the binoculars. He just wanted to help. He threw a little stick. Nothing much. So why when he is in the laboratory, and this is uh, something that I sort of picked up on over the course of the movie, how does he get directed? He get he meets the he not meets, but he is directed and converses with for the first time the young man. That's how the movie uh, builds him. He is the young man. It's uh, as we said in the intro, played by Nacho Vigalondo, the director and writer, and the young man who I in my head and in my notes just constantly the scientist he's a scientist blah 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 i am now starting to think that the fact that he is not called the scientist he is just called the young man is part of why he has made the egregious error of turning on a time machine and allowing a lot of the time-based calamity that ensues to happen i'm starting to think maybe he's just like an intern or a cleaner or yeah i kind of got the impression maybe he's the like work the laboratory assistant or like maybe he just takes care of the place at the weekend like a caretaker Mm -hmm. he does specifically say that he will no longer be working there Mm. when they turn it on in a month's time which makes me feel like he's a temporary worker yeah yeah, actually, yeah, he can't be. He's not like a cleaner or anything uh, like that because he knows time enough to know what's going on. He mm. knows what's happened. He's not astounded time travel is possible. Yeah. He's just astounded that it's happened. Do, do we think maybe he's another trope? Is he the engineer? There's uh, always an engineer. I, f- I feel like in in the loosest sense this time, he, he knows how to work the machine. So effectively, yeah, he he obviously works as something in that lab. So yeah, I think we can class him as a as an engineer. Here. I I yeah, I thought that about him at one point. Like he, I think he he would be the prime candidate for it in this movie. No one else fits that bill. I worry is he handsome enough? Quite frankly, because we know that's required. Good point. And because he's not doing it out of a garage or ever, you know, any kind no. of uh, thing analogous. Again, I think he's, but I think he fills the trope just poorly. He's not as handsome as Renton or as destitute as Paul and Abe. Did I get their names right? Paul, and Abe, and Aaron. Abe, Abe and, Aaron. and Aaron. Abe and Aaron. Sorry, Paul. I haven't seen the films. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of looking at it now. I, I kind of he reminded me of when you see background people working in laboratories in other films and there is a there is a head scientist who is in control and there's the guys in the background who are pushing the buttons and the levers so he probably knows how to work the time machine but obviously isn't sure about what the actual repercussions or the, the methods of it are but he he can work it so yeah we meet him through a walkie-talkie which is an interesting way to first meet a character you know he's a faceless voice what we don't know at this point is he is aware of every event in the film he hasn't lived through them all yet but he's met all three Hectors and spoken with all three Hectors now. Everything he says is coloured with like a soft manipulation. Nothing, <laughs> you know, aggressive or anything like that. But he is, he's trying to cover his own tracks by, he's the one who, you know, he turned on this machine. He's meddled. And so he is, uh, he's aware of the whole thing. He's not just harmlessly helping Hector. He's, he has intention. And you get this, I, this is my first example of you have Hector's honesty. You have somebody who is aware of knowledge that Hector doesn't know. So the way he talks on the walkie-talkie is i know what i'm saying but i'm not going to give that away because it's important that i don't 
which feels like quite a big factor because you haven't had that yet. You haven't had somebody who knows more than Hector does because he's this is first Hector run round. We should also say just before Hector meets, gets the walkie-talkie in the laboratory, he first sees the time travel post, the piece of paper on the door. He does see another of our tropes, which is the time travel diagram. Every film has to have one. You show how the time travel works. And this is very similar it's just a less looped version of the primer diagram. Yeah. Like, it, the primer shows it a specific loop. This shows it more like a staircase, which, I mean, is fine. But then again, this film does some, some weirder things with the diagrams. For starters, the radiation symbols are on the inside of the room, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, that was weird. Very strange. Yeah. Guys, it's, it's radiation's in here. Did you Ra- know? Yeah. We're in here with it. Just to let you know. Did you forget for a second that radi- Once you leave, yeah, radiation yeah, leaves with radiation, you. yeah. <laughs> And also, to take us back, we hear a sound of thunder in the background of the scene. Oh, oh my good God. Okay. Oh, wow. It's just Ben Kingsley's hair oh, wow. rubbing against something. So I had... I've, I made this discovery for myself, but... W- I can't believe it's in another scene. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> there is later on when Hector 3 decides, I am going to change time. I am... Nope. Send me back again. I'm going back again because uh, Clara has died. Spoilers. Um, I don't know why I keep saying spoilers. Um, <laughs> there is a boom sound of thunder. And I was like, oh my God, there's a sound of thunder as he decided oh, to it. change time. There's a third sound oh, no. of thunder right at the very end of the film. The last noise that we hear as they sit in the chairs is a sound of thunder before he says to Clara, don't worry, it won't rain for a bit yet. And that's because he knows it's not going to rain yet because he's heard that thunder and run back to so the laboratory So it's the same before. sound of thunder thrice. Three times. It's amazing all these films have taken their inspiration from the sound of I thunder. I mean, you know, yeah, it was a, a very influential movie, as it turns out. I, when I heard that sound of thunder, I thought I was going mental. I thought that I was inventing it because I needed sound of thunder to stay in my brain. Mm-hmm. The next scene we see him in, of course, is him having been told by the engineer that he's now being chased by the pink bandaged man. Love that they refer to it as pink bandaging. Um, we later see how it becomes pink, which is interesting. I like pink as well because it's not just like red, they're bloodied. It's, you know, it's a process. They become mm. pink and then they would become red and you yeah. don't see them to become red. So mm-hmm. it's it's acknowledging process. It's a mixture of milk and blood, not just blood. <laughs> um, so he then... He the then, best. <laughs> what an unpleasant thing to say. <laughs> he then runs up the hill. And I say runs in the loosest terms because, again, our protagonist here as we as three slightly overweight unfit men he is the hero we need in that he cannot run up that hill do you know what i think i've just realized i think i identify with this character more than any of the other ones i think this is why i like this movie so much because this is me in this situation i think and i mean it's all fabricated he's he's been scared up by the bandaged man aka hector too and he's been led up by the young man i almost said the scientist by the young man uh, and his walkie-talkie so everything that hector is experiencing now everything has been fabricated for him i used the word innocent earlier on and i i maintain that in this moment at least aside from the one bit of the moment of pervy curiosity that seems to have damned him aside from that everything has been made for him everything's been Mm. put on the plate for him and so he's this naive blind baby deer just you know uh, stumbling forward up a hill in this instance Mm. Um, and so he as we said he stumbles into the laboratory and he meets the young man face to face and they have a little chat blah 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 and then the young man without 
and I didn't catch this first time round. It just seems like the way that the plot should go. Oh, yeah, you are being chased. Yeah, I am helping you evade him. Quickly hop into this pit of milk. Hop, hop into this 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 milky bowl of, of, of white juice time stuff. And I'll, you know, I'm going to close it. I'll definitely hop in. I'll definitely <laughs> hop in after you, bro. I'm yeah, right sure. there. No, you it's ho- cool. Hop in first. You game first. Just make sure it's fit for two. Is it snug? Are you are you snug we'll right now? We'll together. We'll spoon. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to press the button first, though, and then I'm just going to hop yeah, in. Yeah, because it takes a couple of seconds, so I've got time to dive in there. Oh, so I'm like a gymnast. I can do oh, it right, right, straight away. Oh, uh, I left my I left my watch outside. I left my keys in the car, yeah. actually. Sorry. I'll be... Bye, Hector Marvel! Milk. End scene. Which, again, accidental time travel. I, I don't know if, at this point, we've had any time travel film that doesn't have time travel happening accidentally. That's a very good point. I was just mm. going to say that the time travel is not created accidentally. We see the creation sort of off-screen it never happens in this movie but definitely the the time travel the traveling through the time is is accidental and i wonder will we see a moment will we ever see a moment again surely we will but when we will see another instance of someone being time traveled against their will and without their knowledge it's without his knowledge like Mm. he just is he thinks he's just been crushed in milk yeah but he's now as we see he wakes up the next day, only it's not. It's earlier today. Dun, dun, dun. And he climbs out of the milk, and day has turned to night, another trope. And he just stares out of the window, a bit confused for a while, while the young man, who, again, actually does still know more than Hector in the background, watches him drip onto the floor. Do you, do you think, because it was at this point I kind of sat back and I thought to myself, do you think that we'll call the young man, the guy we're calling the young man, do you think he, apart from the fact that he knows he's got to try and correct his mistake because he's obviously done something wrong, do you think he knew the extent of the time machine? Do you think he knew that that's how it happened? Or do you think all we are seeing is him trying to get rid of his mistake? I think he's desperately scrabbling, to be he's honest. He's definitely doing that. But part of me was just like, oh, maybe he doesn't know how it works. And he was just like, oh, here's a guy. I can put him in this in this. I can just chuck bowl. him in. Let's see, how- <laughs> boom, see boom, what boom. happens. Summer, summer internship. Yeah. Minimum wage. I'm definitely time traveling someone. Yeah. He's saying it's not ready until two years time. I'm definitely doing yeah. it. Let me lure this idiot up. There's a, I mean, there's a reading. Uh, this is not how I mm-hmm. received it. I'm surprised at no point did I think that the, uh, the young man is the bandaged man in this early instance of like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, it seems really convenient. You've just led him up here and now mm. time-traveled him against his will. But that's neither here nor there. I mm. did not think that. I, at this point, genuinely just thought, oh, the bandaged man is chasing him. I wonder what's going on. I like to keep myself naive in these moments. Let the movie do its trick. In line with what you said, Adam, about how much does does the scientist know? Does he know the extent of this? Do you think that the scientist knows about the death at the end of the movie as he's going through all of this rigmarole? I don't think he does. I mean, no. happens away from him, as as you pointed out, James. There's almost the point when that's his part in that storyline stops. Geographically, yeah. he is he is you know, as you pointed out, James. There's a, there's a slender amount of locations in this uh, movie. There is uh, Hector and Clara's house. There's the observatory. A little bit at the laboratory, and a little bit in you know other. But it's essentially the forest the house the observatory mm-hmm. and the scient the scientist again the young man is geolocked to the observatory yeah but we do know that he's told by hector or he perhaps infers that hector tells him that everything's gone wrong would i think that is murder or manslaughter i think it is in this case hard to say but I, I certainly feel like he knows something very disastrous has happened. It would be difficult to say that after the events of the movie, 
Hector wouldn't talk to the police and show them where the guy is at the observatory and say this guy put me in this milk and then I went back in time. I don't think... It, I <laughs> Do you think believe the, me? <laughs> I think the exact opposite. Oh, really? I think Hector's saying nothing because... I am knows, on your side, Scott. Yeah, he's going to hide some stuff. He, sa- he just says, my wife and I were just viciously attacked. There's mm. no explanation. In fact, my wife was sat with me while oh, the yeah, girl screamed yeah. and fell off the roof. Mm. We were just hanging out and then someone fell off my roof. I had nothing to do with it. Cool. I wasn't even looking that yeah, way. Yeah. Why mm. is her cut hair in mm. my upstairs room? Why is she wearing my wife's, wife's clothes? Did you break no into my did. house and cut your hair? Vicious. <laughs> D- disgusting. Sorry. I, I'm get, I am getting ahead of myself. Now, uh, in this moment, of course, as we uh, mentioned earlier on, in the moment of the transformative uh, milky pit, uh, Hector 1 becomes Hector 2. Now, Hector... Hector becomes Hector 2, making retroactively himself Hector 1. There was never a Hector 1 until the existence of Hector 2. And then we get one of my favourite things to see in a time travel film, watching yourself do a mundane task. He just watches himself through the binoculars, struggle to bring some things down the stairs. And I think mysteriously can hear himself well i guess i guess in a way he's looking at himself talking so i I would probably think that my brain would fill that information in i guess we do also learn the scientist tells us something interesting he says oh it's it can't have been more than an hour and then later he says specifically 90 minutes which i believe is also the length of this film Mm. all of the events every single thing that happens in this film takes place over 90 minutes that's really good and again i I wrote down, as I think we all would have, the minute that he time travels, you acknowledge the fact that it was nighttime when he hopped in the milk box and it's uh, uh, daytime when he comes out. So, you know, it's at least six hours or so, um, but it's lovely to get the, the confirmation and it, again, falls so smoothly that it's the runtime of the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, I th- I think what's interesting as well is that having watched Primer, a movie in which uh, duplicates of people interact with one another and there's a lot of uh, moral discussion between characters about how to interact with uh, uh, the duplicated versions of yourself, time-displaced versions, whichever way you look at it. There's a lot made of that in Primer. In this movie, I thought it was it was quite interesting that Hector has just animosity for his, his previous version. You know, he has it explained to himself. We get another time diagram to add on to the tropes we get i you know it's one that i really like it feels weird that to to look at a time diagram in which the ends of the threads this is he draws almost like a curvy z but it works for me that's a nice time travel and it gets it across to hector quite nicely you were this person you've gone back you are still that person and yet you have to witness hector one doing all the stuff uh, that you just did Hector 2, why is that man in my house? These are his words. These are his uh, his reactions to it. You know, there's a man in my house. He's not me. He is you. No, no, no. Hector's not Hector's not to be uh, uh, changed in this. And, and pretty quickly, he makes the decision, well, I'll just go kill that that man. And, yeah. then I'll, and then that'll solve it. Which is like, again, another show of his, like, almost honesty in this situation. There's no, well... Now I'm going to have to stand back. I'm going to have to stand here and do all this. That doesn't feature into his head at this point. At this point, he's there is a stranger in my house kissing my wife. You can kind of blame this on the young man because the young man says to him that that is a mirror of him. Like, it's not specifically just you. It is a mirror of you. And so all of the rest of the actions Hector takes in this film, in fact, his entire morality for the rest of the film is based on the idea that he thinks he is the original and that somehow these past versions of himself are copies and he doesn't want 
to be somehow deleted from existence and allow the copy version of himself to have access and grubby hands all over his wife. Yeah. It's yeah. very, you mentioned Adam earlier on, the sort of like Hector being just base, relatable, a very simple and, and honest, at least honest in that he's he's easy to read. You uh, you always know what his kind of intentions are, what's going on behind the eyes. And I think it's very base, very primitive to see someone, you know, I, I, I get it. I get that this is most likely the reaction because you are you are literally watching another man with his hands on your wife yes hector i understand but please pause for a second and how about a little maybe a little deeper thought on it a little considered thought on it to understand that like that that's still you you don't have to be as offended as you currently are but he's he's not changing i mean as you mentioned james to have decided no, i'm gonna go and kill him i'm gonna go like i'm yeah, gonna it's, I'm, it's a snap decision right it's, it's an like, extreme yeah i've got a quick question here so the phone call happens from the other side and we hear Hector and his wife, Hector One, getting jiggy. We do. And yeah. all I could think was, I hate listening to these podcasts back and hearing my own voice. Imagine if you had to listen to you talking Ooh. live. Like, it's not a recording. This is just, he's hearing himself over the phone. Yeah. How, do you, how do you think you react in that situation? I'm, I'm not even sure that, like, uh, my brain would com like compute that, that I was hearing myself live. Because um, I, I hate I hate listening to my voice anyway, which is a. I think there'd be a lot of brain issue there. In yeah. The, um. Uh, uh. Someone said earlier on, you would feel the impulse to reply, even though you were a mile away looking at it through binoculars. And I think that that impulse would never depart, even if you were stood next to the guy, mm. because these are, you know, you are him, and his response will be exactly what you would say, because he is you. A big reason why I love time travel movies and I love these kind of time travel movies is because I love toying with that idea and just having to mull chew over something in your head of, yeah, but he is him. Yeah, but he's not him, but he is him, but he's not him, but he is him. But it's not him. I don't think we've seen this yet in any of the other movies where, well, I don't, I, we have seen in Primer particularly, they see themselves. Obviously, the first time they go in to use, you know. Yeah, um, they look at themselves entering the storage facility. And at no point do they go, well, there's, there's people there that are doing what we're doing. We should murder them instantly. This is like a, <laughs> this is like a new response to something. It's like a new, it's like a new uh, sort of like uh, visceral response to a situation that we haven't seen before in a I time mean, travel movie. In Primer, they do drug each other. They do drug each other. If anything, in in Primer, they are they are more sophisticated in their approach and more considered and scientific in their understanding of the situation. Then they decide to drug each other, which yeah. is worse than just <laughs> yeah, yeah, a gut yeah, reaction. Yeah. I'm going to kill yeah. him. No, speaking speaking of scientific, we were talking about how we're not sure if this engineer is a real engineer. The young man is he a proper scientist? He's wearing. Very thick rubber gloves. Those rubber gloves are designed to protect you from incredibly dangerous corrosive materials or electricity. He then decides to suck on the finger of one of the gloves <laughs> for seemingly no reason. <laughs> pick up on that. Oh man, yeah. And I can yeah. tell you, Kosh, which is the control of substances hard, uh, harmful to health, is always in the background of my mind. Mm -hmm. And I saw him do that, and I went, "What the mm. fuck is going on?" Yeah, I, he's not good at his job. He looks like he looks like he just rocked up yesterday, to yeah. be honest. And he works it. Nacho Vigalondo, he has the 
dazed, almost sort of, it's not confused, but it's approaching confused. He's got that dazed, fuzzy tinge to his eyes where it's like, yeah, 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 I'm totally here. I, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing, but I, but, but I don't, <laughs> but I, you know, uh. now, as you mentioned, James, we have the, we have the phone call. Hector two is essentially convinced by the scientist very easily because Hector two at this stage in him having just become Hector two, he's just gone back of his full set of 90 minutes and he is now convinced by the scientist that the best thing to do to get rid of that terrible man who's got his hands on your wife is just to make sure that his experience is exactly the same as yours was. Ensure his experience. It will guarantee that he disappears. He will end up in this time machine. He will become you, etc., etc. You can go back to your life. Everything will be fine. And Hector's main problem in this moment, we have just sort of done around a third of the movie. One of the things I really liked about this movie as well is that it's almost it's almost down to the, the minute, broken down into three sets of 30 minutes and each 30 minutes you spend predominantly with one of the Hectors. Hector Uno, Hector Dos, Hector Tres. As Hector Two, uh, as I said, Hector Two, convinced by uh, the young man to just ensure the experience of Hector One. You mentioned the phone call, uh, uh, James. Hector Two makes the phone call, doesn't realize that he's ensuring experience at the moment. And that's the, the case for most of Hector Two's actions. He's not directly saying, okay, hmm, around this point, I remember receiving a phone call. And so let me pick up the phone and dial. No, he's making the phone call out of paranoia. He's making the phone call out of anger. He's making the phone call out of base instinct, which is, again, touching on that raw honesty. The next thing he does is he commits a new crime. It's Grand Theft Auto. He <laughs> yeah. finds some cars, keys. <laughs> Gets in the car, immediately steals it. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing car, by the way. Uh, loved it. Steals it and then heads out to, we assume, line up the events that cause his time travel. I think if you're being generous to him, it's line up those events. You I know, think... he's on team. He's on team, young man. Let's just make sure this goes away. But it's also probably most likely that he's trying to like ram raid the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, straight well, straight away he immediately does the opposite of what the young man tells him to do. He immediately calls on the phone and then he immediately leaves after he's been told to wait there. So Hector, at this point, I think thinks to himself, "I can solve this." There's got to be a different way. I can't just sit in this room and wait for things to happen. And his punishment for that is he gets the next trope, a disfiguring injury. He has the car crash where he smashes his face to pieces. Then the blood and milk mix together. He makes his pink bandages and puts them on. And he meets... And he becomes the bandage man. man. (laughs) He meets the fourth and final character of the film as you were calling us, uh, Scott, the woman in the woods, the girl in the forest. The, the woman, yeah. I think woman in the woods is much nicer. What's the, um, is it woman in the lake? The lady, lady of the lake. the lake. Yeah, it yeah. gives me vibes of that. Girl in the forest is fine, but you know. So he meets the girl in the forest. I've written down here, she's so kind and decent and perfect and all he does is ruin her life. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have been said better. What yeah. a, this is... I mean, the girl in the forest, uh, that's exactly how, you know, we're not just being crude and descriptive. That's how she's billed in the movie, The Girl in the Forest. She is exactly those things. She's lovely and helpful and caring, empathetic, sympathetic. She's all of the ethics. And I'm going to blow your minds here. I think she works at the lab. Do you? Because she's wearing a Schrodinger's cat t-shirt. Oh. What person would be cycling on that path on a Saturday wearing wearing that t-shirt unless it's an area they know very well? And if you're a nerd living in the middle of this forest in Spain, surely you're going to be working at the nerdiest building in Spain. To add to that, 
I don't think Hector makes any mention of her whatsoever to the young man. So, no. for which would give the young man opportunity to say, "Oh, Bessie, yeah, yeah, uh, she she just works, yeah, she works here with me. She's yeah. fine." Da, da, da. Oh, she's she's yeah. dead. <laughs> you, she's, you, what? You did what? And she's going to go and get help immediately. Mm. And her first instinct is to, to to leave him. She heads in the direction that Lab is. Oh yeah, because she That's must know call. it's there. I hadn't even picked up on that. And at they all. are in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. why would you be there in in that in that fashion? That's a very good catch. I saw the Schrodinger cat i thought you know we've we've come off you know we're having come off of just watched arq a movie riddled with just light references that amount to just one line in a wikipedia article very nice but i like the fact that that schrodinger's cat could be a further illusion and to be honest you you raise Mm. a good point i hadn't sort of dwelled on it why is she there what is she doing and why is she so capable as well not that she's got any grand capability but she's she's measured and she's controlled and she tries to help with everything she's got i'm amazed hector can function at all during this section because the head wound he receives when he crashes it's real bad at one point he has another crash and falls asleep (laughs) this man is so concussed i can't believe he's alive yeah I'm tempted to say that that is possibly a reason why his decision making, uh, uh, the quality of the decisions he makes, goes through the toilet. Yeah. Are you talking about the next crime, I'm which is about, oh, yeah, I mean, hostage taking? <laughs> quite, quite an unexpected turn. Hector, it goes on. really downhill for Hector Doss. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Hector, Hector one, innocent. Uh, stumbling through this situation, doesn't know what the hell's going on. The minute he becomes Hector 2, he be- I'm going to kill the past version of me. <laughs> and now I'm, you know, and yes, he's had a horrific car accident, but the heel turn that he takes in what he does to the girl in the forest is an extreme one, I feel. This this makes me wonder if that's, uh, we've we've talked about this before as well. In time travel films, people tend to go crazy. Like there tends to be a, a level of insanity that comes with time travel. And I just wonder whether or not this is another example of that. Mm. I would be inclined to. I would be inclined to agree. I almost feel like it, there's there's a strong argument that I think in some ways there's a strong argument to say that going crazy is letting Hector off the hook, and I'd love it in many ways. It would make him a more redeemable character to just say that you know the time travel and not specifically the time travel has made him crazy, but more that having seen himself and the jarring alteration to his own reality has caused a substantial shift in his uh, in his sanity. But I think a movie that is quite, I think rather than him going crazy, I think he is, yes, concussed, and yes, he's been, but I think it's just more the weight of the bad things that he experiences start to make him a bad person very quickly. Also, there's a there's a feeling that he knows that he's got to do something and it's like a it's like he's still in that like panic induced i've got to get back to my house i've got to deal with these things there's someone with my wife but at the same time he's obviously concussed and things are happening to him that are out of his control and he still doesn't know at this point what he's supposed to be doing so that i that you get that all the way through that he it's happening to him and you feel it happening to him and it's just confusing on his part as well yeah he's being kind of he's being unconsciously or unknowingly guided kind of coerced into the situation which is then what he does to the girl. He kind of coerces her into getting undressed and providing the next clue to his story. Yeah. And I will say steps are taken. It's gross what he does to her to uh, uh, force her under scissor point. Not that he needed it because she should be terrified nonetheless because he looks so terrible and she's only tried to help him and it's turned so badly and so weirdly on her so quickly. He kidnaps, uh, kidnaps is not the word I'm looking for, but he, he you know, uh, pulls her into the forest, forces her to undress. 
I will say though, steps are taken to not make Hector to not make it a uh, a crime. He is committing a crime to her, of course, but to not make it a crime of lust or a crime of sexual desire. In that, mm. as she is getting undressed, he turns away. The yeah. camera doesn't even see what. Now we've seen it previously when it tempted Hector One. Hector One was tempted by a sighting of some naked breasts in the wood. Hector One is a primitive uh, creature who has followed his curiosity. Hector Two, on the other hand is committing a crime and an offence of uh, both, you know, legally and morally in what he's doing to the girl in uh, the forest. But he's not doing it from a position of, I still want to see these breasts. I still want to see where this breast situation's going. He's doing it from a position of, I wouldn't even say, I agree with you, Adam. I wouldn't say that it's a case of he knows what he's doing. I need to retract the events. Why? Because he did the phone call out of nothing but just emotional need. He has the car crash out of nothing but just a distraction and emotional uh, uh, activity. And so I think that in this moment, he is doing it out of sheer, I need to get that guy out of my house. And, oh, I remember I was distracted by these, so let me just make these. It's not as planned as it may seem. And also, you all Hector knows is there is a girl in the woods who ends up naked. And as this situation's un, un sort of like unfurling, if you will, it's obviously occurring to him, oh... I've got to ask her to take her clothes off. She's got to be naked at this point. She's got to be laying in front of that rock because I must have seen her. This is the girl. So at no point does he, you can see he's getting anything from it. It's just happening and he knows it has to happen this way, but he only knows little bit, little bits. He doesn't know that he told her to do that. So he takes it on himself to realize I have to tell her to get undressed, which must have been quite an unpleasant thought process for him in his head. You know, he's got to engineer this situation so that he he sees it from Hector One's position. And what validates that point is the fact that he tells her pretend to be unconscious because it doesn't even come to him that, no, I knock her unconscious. And even when he's chasing her and when he does knock her unconscious, he still doesn't put two and two together of this is why she was unconscious because I was always going to. He is just still stumbling through the the process of all this. And it's coming at him fast. It's still only been, he's only been at this for, uh, if you say he experienced an hour and a half first time round. He is now a little bit of the way. So he's maybe experienced two hours of a situation that is insane to him to everyone but for him in this moment so i'm almost inclined to say hector one green light in terms of you know moral moral problems hector two very firm amber light you know he is make he has made some wrong choices and they he should know that they're wrong choices and he knows it's it's wrong but he's not he is crucially the movie reaffirms for us he is not doing them from a place of criminality or from a place of evil let's say for lack of a better word he is doing them from a place of desperation and lack of understanding we then get to a moment where having seen all of Hector 1's experience we now diverge a little bit and we're following Hector 2 in the second third of the movie Hector 2 we see him retrace the steps that Hector 1 experienced the phone call and, and on and on as we've mentioned we get him redo the binocular stare adding more wonderful sort of content text and one wonderful mirroring to that kind of sequence while we're on that as well i think that's all our favorite moment in the movie but what you don't often see in time travel movies is somebody having to repeatedly try something until it works when it, when somebody realizes they're in a moment there's a there's a kind of realization of oh i've got to stand over there because i saw myself but Hector has to try it a bunch of different times, opening his eyes in different directions in the woods. And I felt this this movie really balances well the kind of thriller comedy side of things because that scene is funny. 
you know, if you were in that situation, you've got no reference point as to where you've got to aim your eyes open in that position. And he tries it so many times. And I was just thinking it's so it's such a natural response to the situation he's in. It's one of the biggest indicators as well that he doesn't know exactly what he's doing. He's just as hapless as you are. Did you clock the exact timestamp when he did the stare the first time around? No, you didn't, audience. Neither did Hector. And so he's just going to have to try it a couple of times. Yeah. It gives me slight pangs of uh, domino in Deadpool 2 of that kind of luck-based thing of she jumps out of a plane. How do you know you'll land where you're supposed yeah. to land? Well, I have luck on my side. This isn't luck-based, but it's that same hapless, I can just fall into it. Yeah, because it obviously still hasn't dawned on him yet that it doesn't matter because Hector 1 will see him do that. So mm. no matter how many times he does it, at some point he's going to open his eyes and look and he's going to spot Hector. But it still hasn't dawned on him that this is happening to him again. Oh yeah, he must get it right. He can't yeah, get he can't it wrong not, because... because- he's there yeah and i think he just he just realizes that and he finally sort of almost bathes in the enjoyment of that just for a little moment because he sits back down on the grass you see him oh okay i know i've scared him enough that he will run up there once he runs up to the observatory the young man will do my job for me we've i've tied this up in a bow baby it's all good hector the film's over guys the it's film's over. yeah that's the end of the plot. we're done i can go now it's ah. fine Unexplained scream. Unexplained scream. <laughs> what? The? What? The? Okay. Uh, yes, we get the scream. We get this big scream happening, and where we don't know where the scream is coming from just yet. But Hector Two is is just as confused as we are. What's this scream? I didn't hear this first time round. No, you didn't, Hector, because you were exasperatedly legging it up a very dramatically lit hill mm. at night time to an observatory <laughs> he follows the sound of the scream he uh, finds that it's coming to his house night you know the sun is now setting we are approaching the the, the moment of hector's time traveling the first time around so we're approaching the end of this 90 minute window in which hector experiences the world and the same for hector too he walks into the house he's heard this scream oh the girl must be here she must you know maybe she's in danger or maybe something's going wrong i'm gonna intervene it's my house what's what's up so he chases inwards has a table thrown at him oh why is she throwing a table at me well you know i did undress her and force her to do some stuff she didn't want to in the woods she's understandably angry but this is my house and my wife is here i need to sort this situation out and she so he chases her up onto a roof he can't quite see her yet she's on the roof uh, she's not on the roof she's fallen off the roof oh my god she's dead hector what have you done but who's that that's not the girl in the forest that is your wife clara hector worst crime of them all so far i think we can agree would you call it murder throwing tables at this stage i would say this is manslaughter but because of what we know that Hector 3 is aware of, Hector 3 turns this act into murder. Yeah. Mm. And specifically, pre, maybe not premeditated. I, I shouldn't say specifically, but there's, a, there's a chat to be though. had about yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, manslaughter, I think, is the, is the right one in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a- accidental death. I was ch- No, I was chasing her just to see if she was okay. I promise. Why were you dressed up like a bloody psycho? Oh, well, you know, it's a long series of events. Well, why, when you were on the roof, did you think the best thing to do was grab her ankles? Mm. This is your home, sir. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is your home. Why are you dressed like this? Why are you wearing a table around your neck, sir? <laughs> it's just very aggressive. So Hector 2, of course, and this is, as I mentioned earlier, this is when I heard the sound of thunder the first time around. And I was like giggling with excitement because I was like, in case they haven't heard it, I'm going to get to go and mention Sound of Thunder again. I will bring that movie up as and when I want to freely yeah. for the rest of my life. You have mm-hmm. to both suffer with that from now on. Hector 2, distraught, Sound of Thunder, boom, I'm going to change it. Guess what, young man? Guess what, scientist? Change is coming. Our favourite trope of all. 
the going back in time to save someone. Yeah. Yeah. Death is the greatest enemy of the time traveller because, you know, you can always correct. So, so Hector 2 decides consciously, I am going to become Hector 3. I am going to travel back again. I do not accept that my wife Clara has fallen off of this roof. It's not supposed to go like this. So I'm going back again and I will change it, don't worry. Again, a very crucial moment, I think. As he gets back to the observatory, as he tells the young man, this is my plan, this is what I want to do, I'm, I'm you know, wholly dissatisfied with my experience thus far, I'd like to try this 90 minutes o- over again, please. The young man tells him, Hector 3 exists, actually. The young man, uh, he takes a battery from this, there are four batteries in this large, impressive milk tank time machine. They look like fuses to me, I think, but battery's yeah, fine. Battery's and, fine. You know, they, whatever. Fuses, batteries, you know, but there are four of them, they're nicely arranged, one of them is missing. It's so obvious that basic bitch Hector can even, you know, <laughs> oh, you've gotten rid of one of those, but Hector twigs, he's... he's this isn't his first go around the 90 minutes. Oh, 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 Hector's just found out that he is the first vertebrate to have travelled back in time. Which yeah. does I suggest, didn't clock that. Does suggest that he was sending back, what, worms and snails and spiders previously? You know what? I'm Again, I might be doing some work for the movie here, but are they calling him spineless? <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. necessarily call him spineless. He does, he does have a, a character uh, trait of fighting for what he wants and of demand, you know, a guy who says, I'm going to kill that guy, even though it's him in the past, is not necessarily spineless. But I like that they're insulting him, maybe. <laughs> Which also suggests the young man just is a little bit less experienced than we think because he was like, oh yeah, I'll be fine. We've sent back worms before this and whatever spiders, just chuck a person in. He's a, he's another dodgy car salesman. We he had is. dodgy Ben Kingsley <laughs> in the last, he's selling him a dodgy car like, no, no, but be fine, be fine. No problem at all. They said you've got to fill it up with, you know, uh, uh, fully fat milk, but this is semi-skimmed. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> l- later on, we've got, uh, we've got a part where uh, he talks about how he's got a phone call from Hector 3 telling him how it's all gone wrong. And when we see Hector 3 make that phone call in a minute, he says the same thing to him. And as he finishes it, he goes, well, at least you'll get a beating for it. <laughs> he did it deliberately to set up Hector 2 to smash the shit out of another crime, the scientist with a crowbar. Hector is now about to commit his second act of Grand Theft Auto. So we've had the first car stolen, now he steals the van. I was confused about where the van came from. I kept writing the types of vehicle we see. I got to three. There's the there's Hector's car, there's the little white one uh, at the beginning he doesn't close the boot of. There's the van, the big van, and there's a golf cart at one point. Oh yeah, the golf cart, which yeah. I think is called something like the... The easy go. Easy go. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, I get it. It's like tech, uh, uh, tech campus facility kind yeah. of thing. It's like a moonraker car. You, you wouldn't want to walk up that path every day, past those lights to get to the observatory, would you? He's You'd probably pop up in the golf cart. He's probably annoyed that in retrospect when he time traveled each time he didn't take the car down to the bottom of the hill and leave it there for for future iterations of him but you know hector was arrogant enough uh, yeah. and arrogant is a is a good follow-through for what i i wanted to say about hector in this moment becoming transitioning from hector 2 to hector 3 he is in my opinion at his one of his most dislikable one of his most sort of uh, uh distasteful moments he he has proof in front of him proof that he should know by now having been hector 2 for long enough and having no and knowing and experiencing the relationship he has had with hector 1 and what he has done he should know full well that when hector 3 says i have regret 
and regret it holds weight in that moment when the young man says, Hector 3 regrets it, bro. I'm really sure. But if you want to be an arrogant asshole, then go for it. Hector 3, Hector 2 is still an arrogant asshole and says, no, let's go for it. And so he goes back to, and I've decided now that this is what I want to rename the movie. I think Los Crono Cremenes is a wonderful name. I think it's exotic and it's, uh, I say it's exotic. It's only exotic because I don't speak Spanish. But I think it's really nice. Chrono is such a nice hook for like time stuff. It's better than Tiempo or just Chrono Cremenes. Very nice. Not as good as Hector and the milky pits of destiny <laughs> i mean the the milky pit is a is a particularly good time travel device we've had what tinfoil box in primer yeah. we had uh, spinning drum in arc arq then we had the stargate slash theme park ride of sound of thunder <laughs> <laughs> traumatized looks from adam i, can't, I, can't. I don't want to get into it again and now we've got milky bath what what do you think of the time machine? I I'll tell you what I like about it. It reminds me of a sensory deprivation tank. That's a good shout. Yeah. Now I my only point of reference really for this is uh, I, there's an episode of Fringe. They use a sensory deprivation tank a lot, and a lot of it is like being able to move your consciousness to somewhere else. Okay. So I think I think that's what it reminds me of. You're you're submerged in liquid that is not clear liquid so you can't see out you can't see things changing around you presumably i mean like milky clear liquid you i can't see, see through milk yeah and you're shut in <laughs> <laughs> son of a bitch i nearly i nearly walked straight past that one <laughs> i'm sorry i fucking lost it now. Son of a bitch. um but you're kind of locked inside the tank and you can't see out and it's it's something's happening around you and in this case it's time travel so that's where i went with that i think it's a good device i think it's a nice method there's a lot i like about it i like full body seal so going into something that fully encapsulates mm. you we get some of that with primer but we don't get any of it with arc or sound of thunder sound mm. of thunder is like you know hook yourself up and and you are literally off on a ride get on oblivion yeah <laughs> exactly yeah um I like that. I think that the I just I think it's simple and it works. What I like more, I think the device is fine. Mm. What I like more is the observatory. I think that going up the hill to yeah. do your time travel and then coming down the hill into whether it be the forest or your house to have in interaction and to have developments, plot development is I I like it. I like it as a locale. I put it up there. Mm. I like that we just don't know anything about it. Yeah. All we know is he knew it would be switched on. He knew that something had gone back in time through it before, some sort of invertebrate. And that's it. We don't know how it works. We know that there are, again, batteries. That's all. Yeah. And so after the battery is relocated, you know, the, the young man throws a battery in the grass, says, you know, I'm not going to let you do this. But they find the battery because it's meant to be. There's a little stuff with him finding the walkie-talkie again, uh, despite the walkie-talkie having been thrown away. And he finds that walkie-talkie, actually, now that I'm remembering it, having had... Another car crash, as you mentioned, James. He he rams having barrels down the hill. In this is Hector three now. He's decided to come back, and he's he's a man on a mission. I am going to make sure my wife doesn't die in the horrific way she just did. My fault mainly. Wantonly destroys a bin in the middle of the road, which we've seen previously on its side, and we understand this is another crime: destruction destruction of public property. He's had private property. He's had public property. Reckless smashes into the back of Hector two causing Hector 2's car crash that makes him the bandaged man. Hit and run. 
another hit and run doesn't doesn't stick by the scene probably isn't insured for either the van or the golf cart can i point out as well which is a uh, a driving offense i I didn't even write that one down oh well you can't have you can't have chrono driving offenses it's too long a title you have to stick to the stick to the (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he so he smashes into into hector 2 into the back of hector 2 and then has this large crash into like a clothes bin or something along the something like that but it's where the it's where the big overcoat eventually comes from for hector 2 and with that in mind is there are there any other ways that hector 3 validates slash ensures the experiences of of hector 1 and hector 2 one of them is by creating the clothing uh, a rubbish dump that Hector 2 gets his coat from what and as I said by smashing into the back of Hector 2 forcing him to have a car crash and become the bandaged man anything else I've missed we've got the ladder in the open window he oh, places yeah. that ladder up against there and he oh, goes up that? and I didn't catch that he goes back to his house chasing after the girl trying to solve this problem of where she's gone and he looks out of a window that's already open and he sees a ladder so he assumes She's climbing up to the roof. Ah, But he is the one who places that ladder there. And he's the one who opens that window. And in fact, as it slams behind him, caused the noise to cause him to investigate it. And then he opens the window again. And so uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. Hector 3 is now still in exactly the same way that Hector 2 was able to create the situations that Hector 1 experienced. Hector 3 is now doing exactly the same thing, but he's doing them with a more sinister sense of awareness of how I wish things to go. He's still, I will not damn him completely, in that Hector is still largely acting in a in a means of, well, I know this has happened, and so it has to happen this way, and yada, yada, yada. But up until the point where he realized he twigs, ah, it wasn't my wife, it was the girl in the forest. Everything pre that is still kind of muddling his way through it. Everything post that is sinister. Which means that technically, I suppose, the worst action he takes in the whole film, which, and this is also, I know this is a crime in the UK anyway, is when he cuts her hair. Because that is when he has decided, no, no, she's the one who will die here, not my wife. Now, did he actually get any say? Who knows? But he is the one who has made mentally this decision. She gets to die. I kind of almost before that, because there's that moment where he's he's in the house with with the woman from the woods and they're standing in rooms opposite each other. And he's almost like, no, wait a second. And then you're going to throw that table down the stairs and knock this guy out who's chasing you. That whole sequence starts to get a little bit creepily unpleasant in terms of him planning yeah, his the way he looks Good, at her when he okay. he end, he ends up throwing the table down because he may as well. Yeah. She screams just because he's done it, and she's so uh, scared at what's going on, rightfully so. But his face is so fact of the matter. It's so stern. It's so planned. It's so he is resigned. I think that's the word I would go for. He has resigned himself. He knows what has happened. He knows what he has to do to make sure it happens. And he's, I would hope, very disappointed in in himself. You don't see Hector once this movie ends. You don't see any of the aftermath. But I would hope that he has a, 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 it sounds ridiculous to say that someone who has contributed to the death of of somebody should have a look at themselves. I hope yeah. he experiences some level of art, of, of of justice. But when he ha- is experiencing that justice alone in his prison cell, he should have a, a strong look at himself and, and question, you know, how, how selfish a person he is. Because he's doing all of this he, for himself. 
I don't buy for one minute that it is exclusively about making sure his wife doesn't die because I thought my wife had died. So now I need to go back, change it all because my wife has died. There is a strong part of this that is my wife has died and I have been the one who's killed her and I need to change that. I need to go back. That can't be the case whatsoever because that's a problem. One of the things I did at the end of this movie, the second that it had finished and, you know, for the for the purposes of, of contextualizing where we're at, Hector 3, as you mentioned, James, cuts the hair of, of the girl in the forest, uh, dresses her up as his wife, and she is the one who is thrown off the roof. And so Hector 2 gets to still live in his gets to live in his experience. Hector 2's experience is completely validated by Hector 3. What he just experienced will be experienced. And I talk in these kind of circles of what will happen has always happened and et cetera, et cetera, because that is the nature of the time travel in this in this film. I think loosely between ourselves, we've we've called it something along the lines of it has happened and it will always happen uh, and it is happening. When this movie ended, one of the first things I, I wrote down just for my own sense of understanding, and I didn't finish it, I didn't come to any concrete sort of end, was where does the guilt lie? Someone has died and we know Hector is involved. We know multiple iterations of Hector are, are involved. It's the same Hector, but it's also Hector at three levels of understanding, three levels of complicity, three levels of guilt and, and attachment to, to the events that are happening. I think it's really interesting that as Hector moves forward chronologically through uh, the events, the culpability for events runs the exact opposite way. It runs, it runs from back to front instead of from front to back. Events run forward and the events are perpetrated by Hector 1 and then by Hector 2 and then by Hector 3. But everything Hector 1 and Hector 2 is doing, everything Hector 2 does is because of 3 and everything 1 does is because of 2 and, and also a little bit because of 3. I know that it's very on the nose in terms of, well, Hector 3 is the mastermind of the whole thing. He's the one who decided A, B, C, D and E. But realistically, I think that it's 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 really, really grey. And I, I was I was wondering where you sit on is Hector a bad man? Which Hector is a bad man? How bad a man is he? And, and all of that kind of stuff. Well, I suppose my gut reaction is given away here because in my notes, I've written, will Hector get away with this? So I clearly, at the end of this film, I thought he is to blame for this. And if the police come, he will be the one who is arrested for it. So I, I suppose... If I think about it now, maybe I would fall along some of the similar lines that you do, but I think Hector 3 is to blame. I know that Hector 1 and 2, I mean, they're, they're all Hector technically, but everything comes down to the actions that Hector 3 perpetrated knowingly, and I, I just feel like he is guilty. I think your traffic light sort of allegory worked really well. I think Hector 1 is green light. Things are happening to Hector 1 that are out of his control amber light hector 2 he's kind of aware of things that he needs to achieve to carry on and try and close the time loop but hector 3 is doing it for a reason for himself i i think by the time we reach hector 3 he's he's just committing crimes to benefit himself and to save his wife's life now you've, you've got to say to yourself what would you do in that situation if you knew that a family member had died and it was kind of your or you, fault you were convinced i think yeah. that's a really interesting yeah. dynamic yeah. you yeah. were 100 percent convinced why you know whether you should have been convinced yeah. whether you did your due diligence in the moment or not i don't think anyone is gonna i don't think anyone could lambast hector for seeing thinking i've killed my wife and immediately running back to the observatory yeah. to have a do-over oh, we'd yeah. all do it we'd all do yeah, it of course yeah. we would yeah of course we would yeah but it's at that point when he he is calculating 
what he needs to do and that involves murdering someone essentially even if it's not it's a real and he's not physically there line. it's a charles manson yeah. kind of thing where charles oh, yeah. manson doesn't murder anyone but goes to prison for murder because he allowed it to happen and he made yeah. the bed that those plants grew from yeah and hector three is doing the exact same thing i yeah. mean hector one is he is naive and he is innocent for most of his actions and he's emotional as well hector three is emotionless and he is not naive mm. so he clearly is kind of the the epicenter for despite the fact that he is the one furthest in his own timeline chronologically he is the cause of all of this i read an interesting um almost critique of the movie that basically says it's like an allegory for somebody trying to hide an affair so from the beginning he's kind of he, he notices the girl in the woods and she's undressed and you know it's a little bit shameful but again it's kind of just it's just happening to him and then he actively is involved in trying to hide something later on from somebody that involves a family member i just thought it was an interesting way of thinking about it because it is like at the end he basically tells his wife everything's going to be fine this is what happened but can't tell her the time travel stuff, won't tell her the time travel stuff. He just says, like, sit down with me, relax, yeah. everything's going to be fine. Um, I mean, and I'm... part of the resolution for her involves her being just locked in a box. Yeah. She gets locked in the shed or something like that, which feeds into this whole, yeah. could it be uh, uh, a metaphor for yeah. hiding up? A... I, I'm interested in do that. You, do you know what I mean? I, I feel like, I feel no, like I there is you. some weight to you. that. But, but also, he- Hector is a different Hector by the end of this movie. Knowing what Hector 3 does and all the ways in which James and Adam, both of you have just said that, you know, Hector 3 is the is the guy, he's the bad one, he does A, B and C, D and E. Then let's fold it back in on itself. Hector 3 is Hector 1. Oh yeah, it's all so the same he- character. Is Hector 1 not from the minute you meet him a guy who... Is he a guy who gets pushed into a circumstance? But then one person can say, Hector 3 is a man who ends up doing something terrible, but it's only because of the terrible circumstances he's been led up to in via Hector 1 and Hector 2. He's making rash and terrible decisions because of emotional reaction to traumatic events. Uh, it's bad, but they're understandable. Well, I mean, I mean, this is the perfect example of like the grandfather paradox. Oh, yeah. He only takes action because of actions he's taken. There is no external influence, but also everything that he's done internally is not his fault. So every single part of this, obviously, time travel is impossible, so we, we can't like argue that part of it. But morally, from what is going on here, he is both fully culpable and completely without blame. It's very complicated. Yeah, it's very complex. I found myself yeah. sat there just toying with the idea of, you know, how if you are a victim of circumstance, but the circumstances have been made by you, how much of a victim are you? And there's no answer. It's, you know, it's a uh, infinity symbol. It just constantly w- works. Yeah. It's a snake eating itself. That's what I mean. Not infinity symbol. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. We're out. We, we've we've gone we've run the gamut all three hectares are deep within our mind adam i think it's time let's freshen this palette with some juicy film facts cool. please amigo so budget for this movie 2.6 million dollars box office 564 dollars not million not 500 million what no <laughs> only what? 500 thousand dollars interesting ah. that's all this made 2.6 and i think it's because it was released originally at one of the film festivals in Texas. I think it was called Fantasy Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I don't know if it got a proper worldwide worldwide release. Sorry, I'm going to say that again because I can't say worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> um, or worldwide release. 
I don't think it got a proper worldwide release. Just managed it that time. Yeah, that shocked me because I I, I really like this movie and feel like it would have done a lot better. I I'm I'm so sad for it because mm. I I really like it. I think it's very just really well made. I really enjoyed it. I think it's really well put together, really well executed, and just uh, enjoyable. I enjoy my time in that universe as harrowing as the events can be towards the back end, as crazy as they can be. I think it's just so interesting and so intriguing to find out it only made, uh, I know what a quarter fifth of yeah. its, of its Half budget. Half a million dollars. Of them, you know, so like um, what Nacho Vigolondo says, his biggest influence for this, interestingly, was um, a comic book called Chrono Cops by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Um, of Watchmen fame, yeah, of Watchmen fame. So I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was sort of. No. I'll definitely look into that. Um, Two thousand AD, the the comic that's yeah. from that famous for Judge Dredd and stuff like that. I've never, you know, I've been reading comics no. for years. I've never dipped my toes in 2080 because it's like mature science fiction, mm. and I always wanted, you know, cheap, tacky, candy corn superhero crap. Yeah. Um, but I'm waiting until like my 40th birthday. I'm hoping that my testicles will descend a bit more and that I'll be able to enjoy some some English science fiction. I mean, uh, that's another link to Sound of Thunder as well. I'm afraid, guys. <laughs> comic book adaptation. Oh yes, it is. Wow. There, um, there was a planned reboot of this in 2011. No. Really? Tom Cruise was attached to this. Wow. But it's since fallen by the wayside. Well, he made uh, Live, Die, Repeat. Yeah. Do you think he maybe got it out of his system with that? I was going to surprise you with this at the end of our conversation, but you bringing that up is, is, it seems too important to miss. We've got a fan. I beg your pardon? Sorry? (laughs) We we have a fan. Super fan Anne. Oh, Anne. Super fan Anne. Anne, a super fan, has sent us a question. Really? She sent us a question about this film. Is it? Why are you making these podcasts? No. It was specifically about Chrono Cremenes. Okay. She asks, how do you feel this movie would differ if it was made for an American audience? Oh, amazing. Brilliant. My opinion on that is coloured largely by the fact that in most of my experiences with American adaptations of movies, especially international movies, movies that are not in English, the American one, one is much worse. Old Boy is my go-to for this. The Korean Old Boy is incredible. The Josh Brolin, Samuel L. Jackson Old Boy, not so much. And this is a thing that's existed down the years. There's the movie with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston in it. That was a French movie originally. Much, much better. So I am I'm led to think that, first and foremost, if America remade this movie, it would be worse. And B, it would be unnecessarily simpler. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say simpler. I don't I don't think if they remade this for an American audience, it would have anywhere near as much impact or complexity. And that's not because I feel like American movies are dumbed down. I just feel like if, say, Tom Cruise was the lead actor in it, nobody wants to see Tom Cruise descend to the level that Hector does, Mm. I think. I think American audiences would seriously struggle with that. He would have. He that. would have run up that hill. Oh yeah, that's no problem. Speed of light. No I can problem. tell you that. But uh, it's funny. I think that those. It's a nice midway point between what would the movie have been like if it was American and what would it have been like if it was Tom Cruise. It's ostensibly the same question. Mm. Um, I think that as much as I joke, he would have run up. I think they would have made the the bandaged man much more of an aggressor. Much more. Yeah. Th- he's supposed to be scary, guys. He's not supposed to be. 
In this, as you mentioned, as we mentioned over the course of the recording, there are light comedy moments. There are points where the levity and the seriousness of the situation is brought right down in a in a in a nice sort of palate cleansy kind of way. And I think that in an American remake of this, in a Tom Cruise remake of this, he is running from the bandaged man, and it becomes an action sequence that lasts ten to fifteen minutes. But I also think. If they were to remake an American version, they probably would make money. I oh, think yeah. they could make this for a reasonably low budget. It'd make a lot more money than this made. Yeah, and down. they'd oh, make it cost a hell of a lot more, but yeah. they, they probably would make yeah. some money, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I also think that one of the things that I really... So I do really like this film, and I think the main reason I like it is because I am at no point worried about who the actor is, how his acting is going. I don't notice if he flubs a line, because mm. for me it's just... I'm watching the action, I'm reading the text, I'm seeing his visual acting and not his verbal acting, and I'm enjoying it. And mm. I think if there was an American version, I would potentially like it less. Mm. I mean, you definitely have your opinion coloured by, as you said, you don't know these these actors, you're not familiar with their work, you're not familiar with, is this a good Leo performance or is this a bad Leo performance? Yeah. Is this Tom Cruise at his best? Is this Tom Cruise at his worst? You're also not contextualised by any of the references they make. Not that this is a very reference-heavy movie. Mm. You can just sit back and enjoy it. I think that's the difference. Whereas if it was an American-made Tom Cruise film, for example, I would always be thinking, this isn't the same as... Why are there so the many explosions? But, <laughs> but let's take Tom Cruise out of it for a yeah, second. Yeah, sure. Did you see, and this the film's very different, but did you, did you see the film Moon? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Moon, featuring one actor and one voice... Mm-hmm. It has a very similar vibe to this small cast, small location, mm-hmm. and that's a very good film. I don't... Moon wasn't made by an American. Oh, it was made by David Bowie's son. Interesting. What? Yeah, really? so Zoe it's not. Bowie? Yeah, yeah, so it's not just. Um, no, not Zoe Duncan. Uh, Duncan, oh, Duncan, whatever his name yeah, is. Okay. He's got. He's not called a Bowie guy, yeah. but he's. Uh, he's. It would be a good episode of Love, De- Death, and Robots. Oh, yeah. but that's a really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be a good episode of Fringe back in the day. I imagine. In... In the multiversal universe that we all live in, obviously, for example, I think we've seen the best version of this film. I oh, that's a very nice way of saying it. I, I don't, agree. I don't, I don't think there was anything that could improve this movie in terms of what what I wanted from it. I think that's where I live. You make a wonderful point. What yeah. you want when you approach this movie, or yeah. what you get in the first instance, this lovely foreign language film put together, indie vibes, yeah. uh, uh, you know, some nice cultural juice there. Like it's all put together, wrapped up, and it's a nice, enjoyable romp. Just out of interest, do you know what else this director's done? No, I'd never movies. heard of. I I hadn't heard of him prior, and I've not looked into it. I've post. I've, I've only seen. I haven't seen that many foreign language films. I don't well, think I've seen any Spanish language films. I will. I I'm, I imagine there is one on this this list that you will have seen because I I've definitely seen it. and I didn't realize. Um. So after this, um, he did. What was this? Two thousand and seven. So he didn't do a major film then for four years. So two thousand and eleven, he did one called Extraterrestrial, which was like a sci-fi black comedy, but again, not that much of note. The final one that I've I've got his latest thing that he did. Did you see Colossal, the one with Anne Hathaway, where she's this kind of like? Oh my drunk? god, that's him! That's him. No, yeah, that's him. I haven't that's seen that movie, but that movie, movie looks so interesting. It's good. She's good, just a actually. regular woman who finds out she controls a kaiju. She, she's like, she's. Um, I'm yeah. Sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought but like her movements around this house. If she was walking through this living room, a kaiju would be walking through she Japan, can, destroying yeah, it. She and if she turns manifest. right, the kaiju turns right. 
Yeah, she can like manifest this like creature thing in it. It's really it's a oh, good movie. Oh, I am so gonna watch that now because yeah. I, I, as we all said, I, we like this movie. I would be interested to see what he's capable of, and I'm very, I'm very, uh, uh, my heart is warm to hear that uh, Mr. Vigalondo managed to get some work. You know, not not outside of Spain like that's exclusively the goal, but to just try and get more recognition than five hundred thousand mm. dollars at the box office would uh, would. But I'll tell you who has done many movies is our man Hector. What a guy! My life is he pages like the Spanish? He's like the Spanish Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Honestly, he's done like animated kids programs, and he looks like a bit actor who is just like. But this is, I think, is the crowning glory. This seems to be the one that got him the most renowned. Yeah, I think. But yeah, pages and well, pages he's definitely of renown in the time travel <laughs> film club, as is oh, uh, yeah. Mr. Vigalondo, as is yeah. everyone who was involved with uh, Corona Crimenes. I will say. To, to wrap up, gentlemen, I think it's nice for us to work out how we feel about this movie in relation to the other ones. We have a primer, we have ARQ, and we have a sound of thunder. So I'll, I'll lightly go through some, maybe some questions you might need a while to think about. Some, not nope. so much. Um, do you think, uh, <laughs> do you think Los Corona Cremenes is a better time travel movie than uh, a sound of thunder? Absolutely. Yeah. You sure? No, not at all. No, not yeah. Uh, no, no. Absolutely. It's, room for debate. No. The time travel is better. The concept is better. The, the acting is better. The way, well, just from the time travel point of view, the way mm-hmm. they wrap up the time travel is he doesn't just evaporate at the end as he does in Sound of Thunder. <laughs> true. Mm. This is true. Mm. Um, do you feel that Los Crono Cremenes is a better or worse time travel movie than ARQ? Now, this is maybe one for consternation, I know. At the moment, Prime is top of our pile, just ARQ's just beneath it, and there was a massive gulf down to Sound of Thunder. So I enjoyed ARQ more than Primer, but it wasn't as good a time travel film. I think this is a better time travel film than ARQ. I would be inclined to agree. I agree. I think it's just above ARQ. I still don't think it tops Primer in terms of its time travel. Not quite. I think it's succinct i think it's it's makes sense within the world it lives in yeah i I would put this just i mean arq is very very concise with its time travel and as is this to be fun to be honest you know the plot you know where it's going you can follow it well i think that's where i was there are similarities between the two small Mm. cars small amount of Mm -hmm. settings small budget that kind of thing you've got to believe maybe if if los crono crimenes had had the netflix distribution that arq got it would have done a hell of a lot better but I do think if we were to talk about just overall film enjoyment, this might be my favourite one so far. Yeah, it's, it's really enjoy. It's it's really yeah. comfort. It's comfort food. It's time travel comfort food. It's yeah. nice. It's, yeah, it's not it's not complicated. You're watching one man's descent into madness, um, and you're on that journey with him. I'm gonna say, uh, ARQ was a KFC. Primer is a filet mignon steak and a sound of thunder. I don't know if I compared it to a meal, but I will retroactively say that it it, it it's the taste of Ben Kingsley's wig. It's exactly the taste. <laughs> his toupee. It's been stewed for four to five hours, and now that's in your mouth. It's a children's lunchroom sandwich. Yes. I feel like Los Coronacremen is, is like, it's like a nice sort of korma or like a, like a lambuna, something like that. It's roast dinner. Oh, roast dinner's not bad, where it's impressive, comforting, and it's not uh, on the surface incredibly complicated, but you appreciate all of the delicate ingredients. A lot of thought's gone into it. Someone's prepared it well. Roast dinner's a nice one. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. And also, I would only pay a fiver for that at a carvery, so this, it wouldn't make a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so the boys shut down the recording machine and headed straight to a Carberry, it would seem. And after you, I assume, have done exactly the same, dear listener, you can suggest the Time Travel Film Club to your friends and family. You can find the Time Travel Film Club on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And we would be so hugely grateful if you would leave us a rating and review on any of those platforms to help our film club find new listeners. And talking of listeners, as always, if you would like to get in touch with the Time Travel Film Club. Facebook, Time Travel Film Club. Twitter, Time Travel Club. And on Reddit, r slash Time Travel Film Club. Or email, timetravelfilmclub at gmail.com. Our next episode, we will be watching 2005's The Jacket, which you can find on Prime Video at time of recording. But until then, love from the past. See you in the future.